Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Iron Man starring Robert Downey Jr., Terrence Howard, Jeff Bridges, and Gwyneth Paltrow. Written by Mark Fergus, Hawk Osby, Art Markham, and Matt Holloway, and directed by John Favreau. Who in the hell are those screenwriters? And maybe there wasn't even a screenplay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll discuss that. But welcome back to Rice Smile Films in lead up to the highly anticipated Black Widow coming out on July 9th, I believe. Yeah, we're gonna spend some time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is we've never talked about Marvel on this show before. <laughs> we've never done a Marvel movie. Hmm. We, well, but we've only done a handful of. The universes, we did Endgame and... Uh, Infinity War. Uh, no, we didn't do Infinity War. We did Endgame and uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. So Is that it? Yeah, that's it. We've oh. we've tackled two of the 25 to pick from. So I thought, you know, better to, you know, spend some time and just start right back at the beginning with the film that launched the whole thing from 2008, Iron Man. Uh, just, it's going to be a fun episode to like kind of just recollect on like how you perceived the character when you first saw this and kind of like what it became like now, like literally ranting about Loki uh, before we get on the mic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Heavy Marvel day today. Excellent. Excellent. Well, cheers to you. Cheers. We're having some coffee, but we're going to top off here in a little bit with some Balconies uh, Blue Corn uh, Bourbon. We uh, opened that up on our Days and Confused Patreon episode, which was a lot of fun, but also a fun, a fun, tasty bourbon as well. Are you catching any flack from Rye Nation on us not drinking enough early in the morning? No. Good. You're going to force us to drink at eight? You guys are mean. It's not college anymore. (laughs) Far, Far from college. Excellent. Well, let's get this started with our flight question. Excellent. So 2008's Iron Man is a bit of a resurgence, if probably a better word to say that, uh, resurrection of sorts for our titular star, Robert Downey Jr., who had his own share of legal and drug issues and in and out of rehab. And he finally, around like 03, 04, like got clean, Mm -hmm. got serious about acting again. And through Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, um, Zodiac, he kind of found his way back and his road to get to this role is so interesting, but what, what a talented actor, not just in this role, which he's was born to play. I think even Stan Lee said you were born to play Tony Stark, Robert. Uh, what an illustrious career he's had all the way from like the back to school days to like all the, like the stuff he did in the nine natural born killers, weird science, weird science. So my flight to you is, your top three favorite Robert Downey Jr. Uh, roles. So why don't we start at number three? Number three is one of the things I like about Robert Downey Jr. is the versatility that he's able to pull off. It seems to be fairly effortlessly. And some of the courageous or brave roles that he takes. If you if you take Tony Stark, and we're not going to let ourselves choose Tony Stark today, oh, but no. this would for sure be on the list. He'd probably be number one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Even that had a bit of risk to it. We can go back to Chaplin, and although that's a staple of Hollywood legacy, that movie is a little art housey and a bit odd as well. Mm-hmm. 
So that's actually where I'm going to start with number three. The character is Lionel Sweeney, and the film is called Fur. It's 06. I believe it's right after he was removed from Ally McBeal and then through rehab and then back again. It's right around that kiss, kiss, bang, bang time. You ever seen Fur? I remember you talking about that one. I haven't. Is it Nicole Kidman? Yeah. Yeah. There's a strange cask somewhere out there that involves Fur and Birth. I don't know what the third one would be. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what that would be. Um, but anyway, in this film, Nicole Kidman plays a very famous photographer. Mm -hmm. And he is a guy that essentially looks like a werewolf. Now, he's not a werewolf. He's just very hairy. And in the process of her shooting him, they begin this really kind of slow and arduous romance. And the culminating event where they finally consummate the relationship starts off with him being shaved. Mm. And then the two of them ending up in bed together. But what was crazy about that, in a scene that's similar to some of the very off-putting moments in Dusan Machiavelli's sweet movie, which oh. you and I have talked about a lot. <laughs> yeah. As they're in the sack, and the cameras, it's really art house kind of shot. Sure. There's a lot of places where you can tell he's been nicked in the cleaning process of the removal of Oof. his hair. Uh, it's probably not a multiple watch film. Sure. But a one time through is really, really interesting. Okay, excellent. Age of Adeline might be the third film we could add to that cast. Okay. That'd be an interesting cast for Wouldn't sure. Yeah. Third for you. Number three for me. Well, 2008 was a big year for him. I mean, he doubled down twice in this year. And the second role he played, one of my favorites, one of my favorite comedies of all time. You want to talk about uh, also the reconnaissance in, yeah. in this film. It's his role as Kirk Lazarus in Tropic Thunder. Yeah. It's so wrong for so many reasons, but the, the the whole satire of what that film's trying to accomplish exceeds, you know, all the inappropriateness that it involves. He's amazing at it. Uh, some of his lines are like, stop following me, you paste a tea bag. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. What do you mean, you people? You're like, we're going to cook it up some collard greens. <laughs> it's You just like, you, you cringe and you want to laugh and you're not supposed to, but you do anyway. And... What a brave, bold role to not only do Tony Stark this year, but to do that with... It's such a smartly written movie. Ben Stiller and Justin Thoreau wrote that screenplay, and Tom Cruise in that movie, too. Like, we'll do Tropic Thunder one of these days, because it's... I put it in a category of it's a movie that's too funny. I just... I laugh the whole time through. Mm -hmm. Funny that Justin Thoreau came up in that, mm -hmm. because... He's an odd one, isn't he? Yeah. Some good, some bad, mm -hmm. uh, including the sequel to this film, not necessarily he did write the good. He did write the sequel. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's a great film. Mm -hmm. Good choice. And again, to what we said about Robert Downey Jr., that's just not your stock model comedy. Mm -hmm. And he tackles a pretty controversial part and does it all in, no excuses, and kills it. Matter of fact, nominated for a Best Supporting Actor for mm -hmm. that role. Mm -hmm. And Tom Cruise, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Downey Jr. went on Joe Rogan, I think, when Endgame was coming out and kind of did the rounds. And he talked about, you know, getting that role. And he showed his now wife, Susan Downey, the screenplay. And she says, this is so, so, so wrong. But you have to do it. So, that's awesome. yeah, so great advice there. Good job, Susan. Yeah. <laughs> Number two. Harry Lockhart in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Right. Of course. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of great writing that went around that. Well, when Shane, one, when Shane Black's really good, he's really good. That's what I was just going to say. Okay. One of the two times that Shane Black's been really good, mm -hmm. and it's sort of mm -hmm. 
follows a model that was Shane Black's other really good, which would be Lethal Weapon. It's not, but it kind of is mm-hmm. in a way. Uh, what can you say about that? Him and Spader are terrific. That's a great film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's amazing in Do you it. mean Kilmer? Yeah, Kilmer. Sorry, I Spader. They both look alike today. Well, he's going to come up in my next number two. My fav- my favorite line from that movie is like Kilmer's like look up the word dick idiot in the dictionary you know what you'll find and Downey Jr is like a picture of me and he's like no the definition the definition of the word idiot which is what you fucking are <laughs> yeah is that a comedy yeah a dark comedy real dark yeah huh? dark crime comedy touch of action is that Michelle Moynihan in that too mm-hmm. yeah that's that, that's a great movie I really like that one yeah number two for you. Number two for me is the role of Julian in Less Than Zero. Probably for like the first time I ever saw, and probably up to the first time in his career where he like really went there, like acting wise, like really got involved with, and maybe a little too close to home. I mean, it's a lot of drug addiction, it's a lot of abusing alcohol, and uh, I won't spoil what happens, you know, toward towards the end. But it's a really tragic kind of tale based on a book uh, by Brett Easton Ellis, Less Than Zero, which I I. I like the book for its portrayal of excess and uh, what would you call that uh, in in Hollywood? Um, Opulence? No, no. What is the word I'm looking for? Uh, Being a spoiled brat. You know what I mean? It's like the nexus of all of that. And they play it so well in that. But he's incredible. But it was probably a little too close to like how his actual life would go later in the 90s. But... That was like the first time I saw him. I was like, this guys he's got something, and he's able to take it there. I almost want them to do a remake of that movie because it's even more apt in current times with social media and all that shit, um, and that he would come back and maybe play one of the kid's fathers in that. So mm. we'll see. But James Spader's like his like drug dealer in that movie. <laughs> you know, it's funny you brought that movie up. Uh, when we were... And I just watched it recently. It's on HBO Max right now is why I revisited it. So It held up. Mm-hmm. My wife just bought a book that's the Andrew McCarthy biography. And it's called Brat. Interesting. So some of that is a snapshot into the Brat Pack. Now, that's not Downey, but he's on the periphery of that, depending on the film. And this is kind of an example of that. Mm-hmm. Andrew McCarthy had a terrible, terrible drinking problem. Yeah. And... Passed on some really, really great roles. Like Redford had some big plans for him. And I think that they sort of had a Montgomery Cliff kind of plan for James or for uh, Andrew McCarthy. Interesting. You know, it's interesting because while I was watching, I was like, what did, what happened to this guy? So I actually did a little deep dive into kind of what he did after this. And it was kind of, you know, weakened at Bernie's and then kind of not of a lot else. Hard drinking. Yeah. And that film specifically mm-hmm. when he was hanging out with Downey Jr., mm-hmm. Came to know a little white powder called cocaine. Sure. That really derailed what was left of, I can barely make it to set because I'm doing my best impersonation of Marilyn Monroe. Um, Reimagining of himself now with some um, Orange is the New Black, and he's got some directorial stuff. But Mm -hmm. that was an interesting sort of anecdotal moment that my wife looked over and said, so Andrew McCarthy was strung out on coke. And I said, is that right? And less than zero had already come up because Mm -hmm. I wanted to know if there was a... Because it's a, a piece by piece story of the films that he had made. Okay. And of course that bit came up and it was Downey that got him into it. Whew. Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying. It was probably hit a really close to home, but 
it's a hell of a performance. So. Do you ever wonder, did you watch that film think maybe he's not even acting I right did, now? This, he's just strung this out? This time I did, actually. I thought maybe he had yeah really tapped into something. So, But there's I, when you read about the production of that movie, there's not a whole lot you can find out about it. It's probably buried in the annals of we're never letting anybody know what happened. Mm-hmm. That part when he comes home and he's shirtless and he's like kind of downstairs and there's mm-hmm. that from the staircase down, and mm-hmm. he looks like he is yeah. not acting. Bad shape. Like There's even like... Um, Gosh, why can't I think this morning uh, just uh, a with drug withdrawal scene with him and Jamie Gertz in the bathroom, and that, that was pretty rough, too. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Number ones. This is probably a film you haven't seen. Okay. 1997. Mm-hmm. And what feels like a stage play on film, aptly co-starring Natasha Gregson-Wagner mm. and dun, 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 Heather Graham. The movie is called Two Girls and One Guy. Oh, you brought, you brought this one up before, yeah. Uh, it's a pretty hard-hitting drama where he gets caught in the middle of girlfriend finds out that he's got side piece and side piece finds out that she's not the girlfriend, she was a side piece. And mm-hmm. so it's Heather Graham and Natasha Gregson Wagner kind of aligning themselves in what plays out as this romantic drama that essentially is a single location. James Tobeck, is that the guy that directed it? Mm. Um, yeah. Who had some pretty prominent films back in the 1970s. Uh, and then also had a bit of um, an interesting run with Downey Jr. Uh, and some of the other things that they kind of do together. Pretty restrained for Downey. Mm-hmm. But we haven't seen him a lot a little bit in less than zero, but not mm-hmm. in not in this way. In kind of that romantic space, that's a terrible way to describe that because it's yeah. far more toxic than like romantic sure, would sure. sort of allude to. Uh-huh. But it's a really tough, uncomfortable, interesting film. And, you know, I love Heather Graham, mm-hmm. but no one's going to say that Heather Graham and Natasha Gregson Wagner are fantastic actresses. Yeah. So he doesn't have superb material to work with. Mm-hmm. But uh, that might be one that would be worth, if we ever do the toxic romance cast. We that's just one do we a Downey do. Jr. cast. We just do two, those two, throw less than zero in there. Like, we just kind of spend some time with him. That sounds great. And, like, what people don't know about him, his, he comes from a film family. His dad was a kind of a prolific, kind of independent, like, filmmaker in the 60s and 70s, Robert Downey Sr. And so he comes from this kind of film background. So this kind of rise and fall and rise that he did was almost like, he's like, well, I, I gotta kind of like bring credence to my family's name as well. You know what I mean? And he's like, I'm going to finally get serious with it again. James Toback is an interesting one because a little bit of a, an acting career, but he's also the documentary Tyson. He's the gambler. He's Bugsy. Interesting. Um, yeah. He's the pickup artist, hmm. Ringwald and Downey. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got his uh, he's got his finger black and white. I don't know if you ever saw black and white, mm-hmm. but uh, that's an interesting kind of uh, concept piece as well. A little bit of issues around 2000 with some sexual allegation stuff. I don't mean to belittle that, and I'm not trying to make light of it. But uh, yeah, interesting kind of run with him, and that film is a fine showcase of him not needing a suit of armor or strung out drugs. This is just him... And this is 97, so this is prior to all, or in the middle of all that shit. in the middle of all that, yeah. Yeah. Oh. 
Yeah, great choices. Yeah, we'll have to do some digging to find. I bet some of those are maybe a little difficult to find, maybe not on like to own, but maybe just on streaming as well. So yeah, we'll do some research. My number one, you prefaced it already. If you ever want to see Downey just really like just become a character and just be an amazing actor, it's Chaplin. It's yeah. I like stories of let me preface this, like old Hollywood and that era. And I mean, Charlie Chaplin lived a crazy life mm. himself, but Downey Jr. becomes Charlie Chaplin. Like the tramp had a specific walk and mannerisms. And you literally think Chaplin is in the biopic that you're watching. This is made by uh, Richard Attenborough, John Hammond from Jurassic Park, <laughs> FYI. But He's just incredible, and I think it was the first time I had saw him in something that wasn't Iron Man or something else where I was like, this guy can really, really act if, like, you know, if he gets those opportunities to, and I kind of, I'm glad that his tenure as Iron Man's up, that he could dive into some stuff like this again and really just kind of have some fun with it, so Chaplin's my number one. I'm not a huge biopic person, but that one's pretty great, Um he, he, he's, he's really good in that. So Agreed. I couldn't say it any better. Excellent. Cheers to your list. Cheers. Good list. Excellent. Let's get to our review breakdown of Iron Man. Is it better to be feared or respected? And I say, is it too much to ask for both? With that in mind, I humbly present the crown jewel of Stark Industries Freedom Line. It's the first missile system to incorporate our proprietary repulsor technology. They say the best weapon is when you never have to fire. I respectfully disagree. I prefer the weapon you only have to fire once. That's how Dad did it. That's how America does it. And it's worked out pretty well so far. Find an excuse to let one of these off the chain, and I personally guarantee you the bad guys won't even want to come out of their caves. consideration the Jericho I ever told you so I'm not a big slot machine person because I I always lose I'm much more of a table game craps or a blackjack but I played an Iron Man slot machine one time and I got the Jericho combo and I won $150 and I never win at the slots. wow and like it's literally that scene where he like Jericho's and like and boom 150 I was like oh my god I love this (laughs) before we get into all of that and then the film I just want to ask you we'll talk a little bit about the road to get here before we get there what was your uh affiliation with Iron Man prior to this film so if I go back to my earliest days of Marvel involvement it of Mm -hmm. course would be with comics and that was particularly heavy on the Spider-Man side yeah so Cross-sharing characters in comics is not anything new Mm -hmm. because that just makes readers want to buy more magazines. Sure. So short of a couple of appearances where Iron Man showed up with Spidey in a team-up or some story, there wasn't a lot. Mm -hmm. Everyone, I shouldn't say everyone, let's talk about myself. He looks great, but... My earliest recollection of anything that worked with him was on 
a Super Nintendo gaming system that involved like him, Hawkeye Vision, and I forget who mm. the fourth like hero was. It's Captain America it and, Captain the, Ma- and the Avengers is the name of the game. And a strange selection of characters in that iteration of the Avengers. We could play it. I have it. Do you have it? I do. <laughs> okay. Because it's White Vision. Yep. Yep. So from bad comics, and mostly the comics are bad because they fail to develop a cast cast mm-hmm. around him yeah. that's worthy of that presence in the panels. Mm-hmm. Big, shiny, red, gold, red, orange, lasers, technology guy, and not the first, like, silver Iron Man, but the later iterations, he takes up so much space in the panel. Mm-hmm. If your big rival is, number one, alcoholism, mm-hmm. and number two, the Mandarin, yeah. You have some potential. This neither one of them really were developed that sure. well. Same thing is kind of the issue with Captain America, to be honest with you, outside of the Red Skull. Okay. Don't give me Arnim Zola. Anyway, mostly not passable. Mm-hmm. And I would argue today, I haven't read in a while, like I don't read anymore. Yeah. But if he's not in a team concept, mm-hmm. he's still unreadable today. There's been some moments where it's been better, and I have a couple, like they did Ultimate Iron Man when Bendis got involved and sort of relaunched all of those Marvel properties, and that was okay. I think it was a six-issue run, though. I don't know what the struggle is with him, but they found a hard, hard, hard line with people Mm -hmm. weren't buying or they weren't developing a story around the character enough to have any sort of longevity. What's yours? He was a hard sell even... For this, when they said yeah. we're going to do an Iron Man film, they're like, do people even know about him? Like, like people knew Spider-Man and the Hulk. Because I would almost say back in the 70s and 80s, Iron Man might have been C-Team, if if that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it was always the Spidey show. Yeah. And then maybe the X-Men after that. Hulk was always pretty, really pop, primarily due to the Lou Ferrigno show. My experience with Iron Man, and you're right, go read those early Tales of Suspense Iron Man comics. Oh, they're unreadable. They're just so boring. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not that the panels don't, they look amazing. They, they drew the shit out of those, but it's just so unreadable compared to like Spider-Man and, and the Hulk and X-Men comics of the time. There was a 90s in that great era of that great Spider-Man and X-Men uh, show on Fox. Uh, there was an Iron Man one, I think 94, he was voiced by Robert Hayes, uh, Ted Stryker from Airplane. <laughs> wow. And it only lasted like 26 episodes, and the Mandarin was the main villain, and it was kind of like the buildup. It was almost like G.I. Joe, or just like they squashed the Mandarin's plans at the end of every episode. But it was kind of not great, and he teamed up with like Rhodey and like all, he had like a little cadre, a team. I think Hawkeye was a part of it too, and I think Scarlet Witch. But uh, Really? They just put the Scarlet Witch in there <laughs> instead of Black Widow? Uh-huh. Huh. It was all right. It wasn't. It wasn't amazing. Those other two shows were were way better. So when they came around, this film started coming out, and I was like, Iron Man, really interesting choice. So like, uh, my peak radar on that wasn't really anything until I saw the first trailer, and I saw like the first trailer showcases D- Downey Jr.'s improvisational skills and his wittiness with the character, and I was like, oh, that there might be something there with with him. He might have tapped into that, and. uh then when we went and saw the movie, it was one of the few times, I don't know how, because we had just graduated a high school. It was like that week. It was, a movie came out and we're graduating. It was great. We had the whole row filled up with people. It was like the only time we had ever had that. It was like we like somehow got like 25 people to come to the movies with us that night and we took up a whole row. And 
we really liked it. You know, we had a good time with it. And then we stayed for the after credits because we had heard rumors of you need to stay at the end because there's a little something, something that at that point, no one knew who the hell the Avengers were. You know what I mean? So it was almost like you had to go Google it after you saw it. But I remember having a really good time. But like my expectations, I think, were pretty low because I just I the character was like so low on the barometer to me. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about Marvel? Have to. Before this. So Marvel in the 90s, we could talk about Batman too. Batman's killing it with Batman 89 and Batman Forever and then pisses that all away with Batman and Robin and we go into a defunct. Marvel's bankrupt. (laughs) And in their bankruptcy, Avi Arad and Marvel Entertainment, who helped get all those shows, those cartoons I mentioned uh, to the television screen started selling all these properties because they had no money. So New Line, you get Iron Man. Sony, I'm giving you, we're giving you Spider-Man. Uh, Fox, you're getting the X-Men and the Fantastic Four to do something with it because they couldn't do anything with it. So in those great early 2000s days, we saw the potential of what a good superhero-esque story could be with Blade X-Men, Spider-Man, and they finally really started to, to come around to where they pulled themselves out of bankruptcy, but you followed them. You had stock in them, right? So my story with them is is an interesting one. Yeah. The history of Marvel is filled with as many economic successes as it is failures. Mm-hmm. Before Marvel's Marvel, it's timely comics. Mm-hmm. The earliest versions of Marvel's success involve... Timely comics going under and the failures with Captain America. Mm-hmm. So Captain America is really an old character. You're talking about Hitler punching Captain America. That. Yeah. <laughs> and so once World War II ends and we don't have the impending threat of Nazis around every corner, Captain America became pretty wildly unpopular. And that series has been canceled actually a couple of times. When Timely Comics reimagines itself and Marvel is born, then Stan Lee's final parting shot before he's ready to go off and do something else as a failed screenwriter, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. failed novelist, failed screenwriter, Stan Lee found his feet in comics, yeah. was Amazing Fantasy number one, which of course is Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And that almost didn't get written. Had it not been for his wife saying, you got one last issue, why don't you just finally write what you want instead of some sloppy, hawk need you know, thing that Timely's making. And so Spider-Man is born. Okay. It's real easy to see in Marvel's legacy how much affection Stan Lee had for that character because in the early days, that character has developed about as good as any they've done, X-Men excluded. I'm getting to a point here on this. Sure. As successful as that ends up being, which is wildly successful, Mm -hmm. that's also troubled by a failed business arrangement inside Marvel and it's Lee and Ditko. Mm -hmm. That was not a separation by creative differences. I'm going to tell everybody something and I love the man. He's in a huge role in my life. Stanley is one shrewd motherfucking businessman. (laughs) He He really is. Yeah. will border on theft Mm -hmm. of property to me or you got to go. And that's the split between him and Ditko. Well, even Jack Kirby later down the line too, he would go and bat for DC. Yeah. You know, he presents a persona that is what he is and he's lovable and all of those things. But there's another part of Stanley. He's not proud about it. And and then the book, that the history of Marvel that I read, Mm -hmm. he admits like I had to make some tough decisions and that's not 
unlike most people that own a business. And so, I mean, he's not different, but if you look at the cute guy, that's the old man that shows up from time to time in cameo in these movies, man, it's a long, long way from some of the stories. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, somehow we're getting to iron man and I kind of even forgot what the question was. Oh, where was Marvel? Yeah. Okay. Take your time. This is great. <laughs> Spider-Man in my earliest Saturday morning viewing experiences was the reruns of watch out. Here comes the Spider-Man to in syndication that versus new property, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. That's like 80, what two, three, four, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. And then a little bit later on that amazing X-Men cartoon that ran on Fox. So good. Yeah. So good. Mm -hmm. Maybe the best. Oh yeah. Ever. Yeah. An amazing cartoon, five seasons. That one in the bat, uh, the Batman yeah. animated, they're like the pinnacle of. Did you know they're relaunching that? By the way, I did on HBO Max. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, we'll have to buckle up for that one. In the same sort of tone with the same players. Yeah, and they got the new director Matt Reeves is involved too. How about so, that? Yeah, that'll be interesting. Could be sweet. Yeah. Okay. All of that stuff leads to, I think, the height of Marvel prior to where Marvel is now, and that's Todd McFarland of re- most recent notoriety spawn fame Mm -hmm. with his run on spider-man and that's where we get the venom and the black suit introduction yep that's going to be undone with the clone saga so what i'm saying is i'm pairing the successes and failures in six minutes over what is 70 years of legacy it's impossible to do Uh marvel through poor marketing Uh and poor story remember the core of their their business model is the books yeah does such a shitty job yeah. around 95, 6, 7 with some of the business decisions and basically Arad and Lee chase off all of the talent mm-hmm. that their books become unreadable. They lose the contracts to any cartoons and there is no demand for toys and basically the toys get pulled from the shelves and Mattel, Mattel ends the, con- or whoever it was, probably Mattel, mm-hmm. ends their contract with Marvel. There's no property. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. They file bankruptcy. Chapter 11, right? Here's where my involvement comes in that. Back when I was collecting and trying to really do a good job with my comic book collection, I used to read Wizard. Mm -hmm. And that's where I got a stock tip. Yeah. And the stock tip was essentially Marvel's just filed Chapter 11. They plan on reimagining the business and they plan on relaunching it back into cinema. Now, we had been clamoring everyone, we as Marvel Universe proper, Mm -hmm. For a Marvel film. Like, yeah. here's Batman. Just do that. Yeah, just figure it The reason it that didn't happen is Ar- Ar- Avi Ard is such a jackass. Mm-hmm. He won't give the properties over because he's afraid they're going to change the title roles yeah. and screw up the story. Yeah. Oh, my God. And this goes back to the James Cameron Spider-Man issue, yeah. too, right? Mm-hmm. Defunct. Yep. The parachute that they give with a character that literally no one cared about. Blade. Was Blade. Yeah. Well, we're bankrupt. I guess you can do whatever you want to do with Blade. We can't have Ghost Rider. No, that's too popular. You can have Blade. Yeah. We are talking bottom of the barrel. Mm-hmm. Vampire hunting in the Marvel Universe. I mean, we're what? Yeah. Wesley Snipes comes in. Yeah. And they kill that film. What they did early on there was like focus on making just good movies, just like good like one-offs, because then X-Men was next, and that was like, you know left something to be desired, but you kind of got it. And then Spider-Man was the one that really just changed the game. Like it was like, it was huge. It was 
really true to the character, in my opinion. Really well liked for the most part. Biggest opening weekend of all time up to that point. So everyone was like, well, what do we do next? What do we what do we have access to? <laughs> when I got in at Marvel, I got in at 99 cents a share. Okay. And I bought 100 shares. Nice. What the hell? Yeah. From a stip, from a, a stock tip in Marvel, I had a few other things. I had Target. I had Dave & Buster's. I had NVIDIA back then too. Oh, nice. Which was terrible. It's awesome now. But yeah. so as much as this is the great success of... Yeah, Matt's stock prowess in <laughs> Rice Smile Films. Yeah. It's not because there's uh, those other three all lost. I moved that after it split two to one at $28 a share. The last time I checked, it hit in the 60s. I, I made a fortune. I lost a fortune on that too. Sure, yeah. And the whole thing was based on, hey, Marvel is out of chapter 11, but they're not dead. They've reimagined their business and we're going to relaunch their properties with Blade. And I figured, yeah, what the hell? So here's, here's, here's where we go. Yeah. So here's how it went down. So, you know, Avi Rod, you know, he like, he's like now him and, and they established Marvel studios. It was a division of Marvel entertainment. And we're like, okay, we're going to start making our own movies. They took out a loan for $525 million with the goal to make 10 movies over the span of eight years. And when they started out to do this, this is who they had access to. Ant-Man, Black Panther, Captain America, Cloak and Dagger, Doctor Strange, Hawkeye, Nick Fury, Power Pack. Who the hell are they? (laughs) Shang-Chi and then the Avengers. But you could only use the ones that you had access to. So probably only Captain America. Uh, and in 2005, since New Line didn't do anything with Iron Man, I, I mean, they wanted Tarantino at one point and Nick Cassavetes and Nicolas Cage and Tom Cruise were all rumored at one point. So they finally get it and they're like, this is the one we're going to do because he's never been done in a live action format before, whereas they did the Red Brown Captain America in the 70s and whatnot. Have you ever wondered if the reason they didn't go with Captain America is because of the previous attempts to do that and the terrible taste that is sort of left in everybody's mouth absolutely because the red brown stuff's terrible the matt solinger 1990 film with ronnie cox is also bad so yeah you kind of want to start with something fresh so did roger corman take a crack with the fantastic four yeah that's 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 a nightmare as well that's a story for another day yeah but from the depths they're like we're gonna start making our own movies iron man's the first one they get favreau in the director's chair he really kind of hadn't done a big movie like i mean maybe the biggest thing he had done prior to this was elf Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, and then he's like, well, we're, I want to cast Robert Downey Jr. And this one, the studio's like, well, you can't cast that guy. He's uncastable. I mean, he's kind of like, he's not a name. They wanted Tom Cruise. Uh, and I'm glad they stuck to their guns because to me, this film, this whole universe, this whole ecosystem of Marvel does not work without Downey Jr. Let's do this too right now so we can get on with the, the breakdown of the film. Okay. I know you know the answer to this. Okay. Who was the first person that they cast in Iron Man? Terrence Howard? At the biggest contract of any of the players in there. He had just done a hustle and flow. <laughs> and was really hot and had uh, some some buzz around him. Crash was, you know, on the oh, horizon. Of it. No, I, I know. <laughs> but for the, for the name, I think that's how risky this project was. Sure. I guess you're going to bank on the reliability of Terrence Howard at a time when, and I don't think Terrence Howard is a bad actor at all. And I actually know Terrence Howard and had spent, I've spent a night with him. It sounds terrible, but at the vanity, (laughs) at the vanity fair Oscar party, like he and myself and my buddy Mark, who had a film that he was shopping at the time, 
at that same event where I'm at, uh, shoe set and all, like all those and West Craven, all those people. Yeah. 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 Um, John Sally has had his own production company at that time too. It was a crazy, crazy weekend. Yeah. He's a good dude. You know, I was watching it this time and I was like, I kind of maybe wished he had like kept up with it. You know what I mean? With this character. So here's where the story takes an interesting turn with him. Like clearly Downey star is going to outshine his, Mm -hmm. but he's ahead of him or even Gwyneth Paltrow. Now I'm not going to make the case for Gwyneth Paltrow on this show ever, (laughs) but she can take her candle line and you know, yeah, gross. And if you all don't know what I'm talking about, I'm not saying it because it's gross, but you should look into it. Yeah. She has an interesting line of scented candles. Yeah. All right. His performance in this film came into question for part two Mm -hmm. as not adequately pulling the character off the way they wanted. That's bullshit. Yeah. Upon this viewing, Mm -hmm. do you find him to be inadequate? No. Yeah. I thought he was pretty good. Here's the real story. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The second time around, and you would probably do the same thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Everybody out there in Rye Nation, if your boss came up to you and said, we're renegotiating your contract for the next year, we'd like you back, but at a 50 to 80% pay cut, every single one of you, I hope, would walk. Yeah. Terrence Howard, who's still pretty powerful and a megastar at that time, made the same choice. Now, they spun it mm-hmm. as it was performance issues or mm-hmm. they didn't like the depiction of the character on the screen. Yeah. Bull. Yeah. Bull. Well, Downey got paid five hundred thousand dollars for this film, so you kind of see just like how that's how much again five hundred thousand. That's peanuts. Yeah, Terrence Howard made more on this film, and but like it's Downey's show. Let's start at the beginning because uh, for Iron Man Origins back it, it's nineteen it's circa nineteen sixty three when that came out, so his origin takes place in Vietnam. So very apt to that the 08 version takes place with like the version of like the al-qaeda and the taliban you know what i mean yeah and it's the 10 rings yep oh is that right it is yeah you saw the logo with like the circles and the swords like you're the, right like the banner. yeah it's so that's you know the mandarin kind of thing so very smart yeah maybe we'll tie back to that in shang chi jesse really yeah okay so i don't want to i want you to keep going don't forget what you're yeah that's the genius of this early part of marvel mm-hmm. favreau in that chair is able to weave in just enough of that stuff where it's not distracting. To, yeah. lar- to lay a larger continuity. Now, that's not really going to play out because we can talk about mm-hmm. Ben Kingsley as a Mandarin, and that's garbage. Yeah, yeah. It didn't work. <laughs> we'll be better, I hope, the next time around with Shang-Chi. Sure. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the cell that, like, abducts him here. No shit. Yeah. Okay, great. Good catch. All right. I How think this uh, this is a terrific opening because it shows the wittiness of Downey with, like, his banter with these soldiers in the car and wanting to take a picture. I love his delivery of... Is it true you went 12 for 12 with the Maxim cover models? That is a great question. March and I had a scheduling issue, but fortunately, December issue was twins. So, like, you just Love you, it. You get the guy in, like, one piece of dialogue. And then when shit hits the fan, he's like, what do I do? What do I keep panicking? Like, for a man who spent his whole life in weapons manufacturing, when things really go awry, he doesn't know what to do. Like, he's like, get me out of here, evac me. And then that shot of when the missile hits and he's like, my name, my company... And blasts him back. Tony Stark's in for a rude awakening with how he did. And I like that the film kind of takes almost like a pseudo Batman Begins approach. And let's go meet the Tony Stark prior. Because the guy's a dick. He's an asshole. He's arrogant. He's egotistical. And maybe that's why 
you know, we've had conversations about Captain America and his Superman-esque-ness, uh, just good nature. Mm-hmm. I like my characters with a bit of an edge, and that's why I've always gravitated towards Stark in this universe, because he is so... Not squeaky clean. He's not squeaky clean. Uh, and this opening, like, I forgot this casino bit, mm-hmm. and uh, they do a great montage. Uh, you want to know how to economically use time in your film, they do, like, a time, like, magazine montage of, like... Rolling Stone. Yeah, and he, like, built a computer with Bill Gates. And to show, like, yeah, the rise without having to show it. You know what I mean? Yep. A really efficient uh, filmmaking. But what do you kind of think of this opening, uh, our introduction to the character? I love it. Yeah. I Okay, I'm going to tell you something. Okay. I almost didn't rewatch this film. Mm-hmm. I've seen this film, like, 15 times. Mm-hmm. But it's been about five, six years since I've really seen it. I'm so glad I did it because I picked on up on so much more now. Mm-hmm. I've had issues with the rollout of Ultron uh, a lot. Me too. (laughs) But the part of Ultron that really did work in Age of Ultron, Avengers Age of Ultron, Mm -hmm. is laid forth in this. After Stark is blown to Kingdom Come by his own weapons, we get a really important moment. And it happens a lot in cinema, and I always look for it. If someone gets rained on, or if they are lost at sea... Or if they are, if they succumb to the forces of Mother Nature, and I don't mean in those kind of man versus nature films that you know I love so much. <laughs> Your favorite genre. <laughs> Oftentimes, it signals a rebirth. Yeah. My favorite moment in that of all times is in Splendor in the Grass, and it's mm-hmm. the Deanie Loomis in the bathtub scene. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about a melodramatic film, yeah. but nonetheless, she comes out as a good little, good little girl, as like a naked Christ virginal psychopath. Mm-hmm. All right. Boom, blown back, and then out cold, awakened to the Ten Rings on the table, and some Shantate would be an upgrade to where we are here, Absolutely. a cave. Yeah. But what happens is you start to see this monumental shift in Stark that goes from aggressive weapons maker for destruction yeah. to aggressive militaristic protector. Mm-hmm of shall I say mankind for lack of a better term sure yeah and that's why the Skynet type piece of Ultron not Skynet that's Mm -hmm. built is so important in that film in whatever tiny space it works it's not a lot but a little bit Mm -hmm. because it's set up really well here and so your question is how do I like the origin honestly it might be Top three. I know the Batman no. and Spider-Man are worn out, but those might be one and two. This is probably number three. Maybe on film, because this is a bit of a departure from like the origins in the... Because then we find out, you know, this was a hit job from Obadiah Stane, which I ended up really liking this viewing. Yeah, uh, me too. I really ended up liking the Jeff Bridges character a lot. Yeah, maybe that's because, such a great name. Maybe because it's just so refreshing to have a villain that's just like in it to get the company, and he's yeah. not trying to take over the world. Yeah, <laughs> right. Simple goals. But... I, I I was really drawn towards that scene when he's talking to the reporter, Christine, and she's pressing him on, what would you, they call you the Da Vinci of your time? Ridiculous, I don't paint. What about your other nickname, the Merchant of Death? That's not bad. And he's folksy and kind of a smart ass about it, but when she starts pressing him about his intention and the weapons he makes... He, he just takes, seduces her. Well, no, well, he does. <laughs> but he takes his glasses off and he gets really serious for a second, so that's mm-hmm. enough to show he cares about what he does for a living. This whole playboy affect is part of it, but when he gets down to brass tacks and we see it in this cave scene, how much of a genius he really is, 
he really does care about what what he does. It's not just all for show. And I thought that was an interesting little touch too. How much of that do you think is Downey off the cuff and how much of that do you think is scripted? Uh, it's probably 80% him. Rumor is that there's very little of this movie that's mm-hmm. actually scripted, yeah, despite I, the 15 screenwriters that you rattled off. Exactly. Interesting because I wonder if on prep to this movie, which might have been therapeutic in a way too, right? Mm-hmm. How much time Downey spent in the pages of Iron Man, because that shit's unreadable. But it's also as much as less than zero mm-hmm. is autobiographical to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And this kind of is also, if you want to be honest about it, Stark's a hard drinking, mm-hmm. fast loving, wise cracking, hard boiled motherfucker. Yeah. And Downey is able to really kind of play that off. And I don't know if I'd say he is all of those things in his real life because I don't know any better. But yeah. I know he's a couple of those things for sure. Mm-hmm. He nails it, man. Absolutely. So you take all that, the Playboy visage, and yeah. strip it all down, and we get into the cave now. And this is another reason why I've always kind of revolved around him a little bit more than Cap or Thor, born from royalty. He's a god. Uh, uh, Cap, is, he's been given super soldier serum. Those guys have never had to go through what... Tony Stark's about to go through. He's they're literally going to kill this guy. He's got shrapnel in his chest and unless they he builds a bomb like he, th- those other characters haven't faced this type of test before. And it's after that it's the test that launches this whole universe. So to me it's Tony Stark at his lowest low and it's the reason why and they're not thinking Endgame or anything at this point. They just make one good movie. But I can really buy later his arc as it progresses through this whole series, why he's always willing to make the sacrifice play, take the bomb to space, take uh, the Ultron, the Sokovia falling. He's like the one guy that's going to blow it up. Uh, The final stand with Thanos on the Titan. He's always willing to go there because he has been there. It's this scene, right? This scene is so important. You're right. Yeah, it is. And then uh, he, you know, he meets Jensen and, the first thing we got to do, and I thought this was really good too, and maybe a, de- a detriment later to the series when they get rid of this, but. Wow. That doesn't look like a Jericho missile. That's because it's a miniaturized arc reactor. I got a big one powering my factory at home. I should keep the shrapnel out of my heart. But what could it generate? If my math is right, I don't know as is. Three gigajoules per second. That could run your heart for 50 lifetimes. Yeah. Or something big for 15 minutes. This is our ticket out of here. What is it? Flatten them out and look. The Mark One. Uh... I really like the fact that this arc reactor, it's this renewable energy source he's been toying around with for years. They're, they're weapons first, and then he's this kind of like a side project uh, that this is what's going to keep him alive. And later in Iron Man 3, when they totally take this, remove this, but I like the idea that within Tony Stark's internals, he has a ticking time clock. The arc reactor has to constantly keep churning to keep that shrapnel from, and that's how it was in the comic books and I think that's a great thing to to have mm-hmm. I kind of hate that they did away with that later yeah it undoes a lot of the technology and the, the latent weakness in him I was wondering when he throws it over the edge of the cliff oh. <laughs> at the end of two a three 
the end of three. Well, you and I were done beyond that point. <laughs> which we talked on ourselves over the edge of the cliff, yes, right? Yes, yes. What the rationale was for how you're going to exist with a big hole in your chest now. Anyway, so yeah, that's a whole other issue. It's really cool right now. Mm-hmm. And I love that the first version of this is this really makeshift 9-volt essentially put into your chest that's powered by a, a car battery. Mm-hmm. And he has to carry it with him. Yeah. That's an, that's not entirely ever going to go away. Yeah. Even when he's as, in his Iron Man suit, he still is laboring to have to carry that with him as well. Now it's a bit more self-powered, but I like this idea that power or energy is the essential component of what he needs to continue to live. And we see that played out a lot through the Iron Man series when the suit runs out of juice and he's falling back to earth, or even in this moment right here when he says, my heart for 50 lifetimes or something really big for 15 minutes. You see? It's so smart. And he's already making the change to not be as self-centered. Right. Um, because right now it's all about survival. In order for me to even have that 50 lifetimes, I have to get out of this cave. I can't do that unless I build something to power that. And in 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. For four 15 minutes. Yeah. So I got a time. I, everything's like, there's like a whole time component to this mm-hmm. credit to Stan Winston. I think this was the last film he worked on before he passed. Mm. They built a lot of these suits, uh, the Mark one, the Mark two, the Mark three, they look incredible in this thing. This, mm-hmm. this first one, like this, is like a fully functioning, like, piece of equipment yeah uh but yeah the 10 rings they want him to build the jericho and he's like i ain't building your your weapon but i'll make you think i am but i'm really gonna build my ticket out of here and you know jensen tells him a lot of things maybe this is kind of an un, untalked about character in this universe because he really he even said something later too about when i get out of here i'm gonna go see my family and when he's blasted with bullets he's like my family is dead i am going to go see them and he's like and he says they're talking about family and he's like, you don't have, you know, wife or children. He's like, he's like, no, I don't. And he says the man who has everything and yet nothing at all. That speaks volumes because then later down the line, like that's, it becomes everything Stark revolves his whole life around, which is in the end game, which is the wife and the, and the family dynamic. In all of the latter iterations of Iron Man, do you mm-hmm. ever want him to reference back to Jensen? I think so. Yeah. It's a bit of a, just not, not a huge one. Not a huge one. He o- needs to, Harken back to something a friend of mine told me one time mm-hmm. was this. Yeah. But this is a great action sequence. Sure. Him busting out of this cave and he's just making waste with the 10 rings guys and gets his ticket out of here. Yeah, really. This When I first saw this, I was really on board at this point. Downey had already sold me on the performance he was doing. And then just to kind of see, like, part of the trick was how do we do the Iron Man suit in action? And you want to start it out slow. You want to build up to the final reveal, which is, you know, the the red and gold suit that we all know now. But we got to see the infancy and like, it's like breaking down. It's like one arm's doing this. It get this arm gets stuck and it all falls apart when he gets out of there. But the thing is he is out finally. Yeah. So he comes back home. And again, just to talk about this arc that this journey that he's going through, it's time to, well, I've seen what these weapons are being used for. Like they're falling into the wrong hands. Uh, these terrorist cells. So I can't be about that. I've seen, I've seen them just do waste to all, all these people that I care about. So he does this. See ya. I never got to say goodbye to dad. I never got to say goodbye to my father. 
There's questions that I would ask him. I would ask him how he felt about what this company did. If he was conflicted, if he ever had doubts. Or maybe he was every inch the man we all remember from the newsreels. I saw young Americans killed by the very weapons I created to defend them and protect them. And I saw that I had become part of a system that is comfortable with zero accountability. What happened over there? Uh, I, I had my eyes open. I came to realize that I have more to offer this world than just making things to blow up. And that is why, effective immediately, I am shutting down the weapons manufacturer division of Stark International. So a system with zero accountability, is he a public school teacher? (laughs) But he's growing up. He's right before our eyes. We're we're seeing this character change. Even when he steps off the plane and he kind of has this serious look to him. And she's like, he's like, few tears for your long lost boss. And he's like, thought I might have to look for another job. He's like, well, vacation's over. Like he's like down to business now. I think I think this is this is great. I mean, to kind of show and he's always been the guy that's tried to do the right thing. And I think all the even we mentioned Ultron, like mm-hmm. great idea, just it went awry to his own demise. AI's whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I think he's always tried to kind of, you know, put put the best foot forward and, and make all the right decisions and then you kind of have to deal with the consequences of all that. So now here's a weapons company that's not gonna make weapons anymore. So this really rubs Obadiah Stane, Jeff Bridges. Man, I'm a huge Jeff Bridges fan. I've I've always lo- been a fan of him, and like I said, it's great to have a villain here. That's his goals aren't like oh, I'm going to take over the world. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. let's get it small. Like mm-hmm. it's just like corporate takeover. Like that, that's great. Even that's set up really well. When he that part that you talked about, that's the montage of Tony growing up and the narrative and the mm-hmm. images on the magazines. There's the one I forget what magazine it is. Maybe Time. Yeah, but it's Downey, Tony Stark, prominent. And Stain sort of in the background. In the shadows looking over his shoulder. And Stain is the bridge between dad and son. Mm-hmm. And now that son is back and ready to take the mantle of head of the company, Stain just goes back to this ancillary piece and he doesn't want that. No. Who yeah. could blame him? What a nice character arc for the bad guy. Yeah. I just want to run this multi-million dollar company and this is what butters our bread. And when you get out there in that press conference mm-hmm. and you tell everybody we're not making weapons anymore... You're undoing a lifetime of efforts for me mm-hmm. that involves how profitable this company is going to be. The first thing Stain says is, do you know what that's going to do to our stock? Yeah. Drop it 40 points. I get it. Yeah. This man has labored effortlessly for to this, keep company. this company afloat. Yeah. And now we have Peacemonger showing up. Mm-hmm. That's not what's going to make this company continue to prosper. Yeah. And there's also in that the undoing of the loyalty piece that Stain has granted Stark Incorporated. Mm-hmm. I think Stain doesn't have the clearest and clean of, cleanest motives. I think there is a bit of river of debauchery or malevolence going through him. But I can also understand why, because I think part of it is greed, but also loyalty. Mm -hmm. And he's really well-developed, and Jeff Bridges 
does a fantastic job, also at a time when he wasn't the most highly sought-after actor either. Now, that's going to change. Yeah, he has, like, a career resurgence at this part, too. You get to Crazy Heart and some other things like that. But, mm-hmm. man, really good bad guy. And then the film takes a, a decent amount of time here because, like, this is an origin film. We got to t- and It's our first time ever really getting familiar with the origins of Iron Man on screen before. So this does feel fresh and refreshing uh, during this initial iteration. But we get to spend some decent time of Stark. And I, I found this fascinating, too, because... In Iron Man 2 and 3 and then all the Avengers films, he has just like a plethora of suits everywhere that he can just wheel at. And in order to get to that, he has to build the prototype for the first one. You know what I mean? So we actually get to see Stark hard labor each part and component of this suit. The thrusters, the chest piece, the arms. Like, I had forgotten about this part too that... And I, I did some thinking. I was like, well, in order to put it in the computer and have Jarvis build you the next one, you have to build the first one yourself. Mm-hmm. Very resourceful individual. And and we see that later throughout the series when there are no resources. How do you get off of Titan like when you've been left with nothing? Like here, like I, I just love seeing those scenes of him sprocket and try and change all these things to build this weaponized suit. What, what do you think of all that? I always love that when the character learns how to use the powers that have been giving them, whether it's practice swinging from rooftop to rooftop, Tobey Maguire, mm-hmm. or whether it's working through the street level baddies, Michael Keaton, mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan's Batman. Yeah. Um, I love that. It's so much fun to watch. And the creation of the suit is the development of the quote unquote superpower, even though it's not. It's really entertaining. And you know what you're just watching is a man turn a wrench in technology and it's 20 minutes of the film. That's really entertaining. It just delivered masterfully. Well, I love the 3d image that's Mm -hmm. rendered of the repulsor that he puts his hand into. Yeah. You can almost feel on that 3d image, Mm -hmm. the weight of what the digital projection is. And of course there isn't because it's just a digital projection. Yeah. And then you start to get, a little bit of a tease or a hint on what we want to see. And that's what's this suit going to look like. Mm-hmm. And we get kind of a tease with the silver one, don't we? Yeah, exactly. You know, what was always one of my, fa- and I wanted to ask you this at the beginning here. What was always your favorite Ironmans? I always loved that silver, silver centurion armor. I like the silver and, and uh, red look. And they kind of have that in Iron Man too, with his suitcase suit. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, this silver one is just like purely a flight prototype. And I thought they did a really good job with the HUD, the head, uh, heads up display, uh, mm-hmm. inside the suit, which is Jarvis. So for those that don't know, Jarvis was like a butler in the comic books. Mm-hmm. He was like Alfred yeah. and I gl- I'm glad that they turned him into just kind of this like Alexa in his house yeah. that like can summon things from, but he's his internal kind of monologue, uh, I always kind of felt like that, like Jarvis should have always just still been, even when he became Vision, but that's that's a story for another day. But this is a hero. He has to learn how to fly. You know what I mean? This is kind of like Superman, but like more art, artificial, more uh, heroes aren't, are, what's the tagline for this? Heroes aren't built, they're made or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he, we got to see him go through these processes and learn from it. Like it's always thing, Tony Stark's always really good about learning from his mistakes. Whether this is true or not, I think this is a great bit of fan theory, but in Infinity War, he puts those the boosters when Peter gets sucked up by the ship, and he has that booster, and he, like, shoots up to him, and they said that he had put that in there after he couldn't get to Rhodey when Rhodey was falling in Civil War. Mm. So learning from, like, the failures, you know what I mean? I'm mm. gonna, I got to make the tech bigger, and we see that here when he goes up to space, 
and the soup freezes. So he's got to find a way to, you know, uh, to fix that problem, which is going to be Obadiah's somewhat undoing in the final sequences. Right. So we're just piecing together all that character. And and again, like you're right, it, th- this looks great. So we're almost there. We're just putting the finishing touches on the suit, but he's going to get the startling revelations on what this company's really doing. Please, do you mind? you seen these pictures? Huh? What's going Tony, on with Tony, you can't oh. afford to be this naive. When I was naive before, when they said, here's a line, we don't cross it. This is how we do business. If we're double dealing under the table, are we? Let's take a picture. Come on. Picture time. Hey, who do you think locked you out? I was the one who filed the injunction against you. So he finds out his company's double dealing, back dealing, black market dealing all these weapons to these terrorist cells of like what he just went through. This has got to super rub him the wrong way. And he's like, oh, well, we're going to make some changes. But first, I got to go deal this. What a perfect first test for me to go test my powers, test this suit out. And I love that he's still he's watching the news and he's still working on the hand like he's still got to just the finishing touches here. And then we finally get it. And I always remember the the teaser trailer for this was the final shot was like him flying. It was this scene where he like breaks the sound barrier. So just kind of give you an idea of that. But one thing that always worked really well for me with the Iron Man stuff was you never knew what the repulsor sounded like uh, in uh, when you read the comics or watch the cartoons. But I'm going to play something for you because this is actually um, this is my test message. Uh <laughs> When I get a text, mm. oh wow! That's 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 what you get when you when you send that to me. But that sound, that repulsor sound of that, like you you feel it charging up and then dissipating. It's 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 really well done. What do you what do you kind of think of Iron Man's first day out? Oh, <laughs> uh, are we talking about the return to take on the Ten Rings? Like when he shows up and oh yeah. Um, Boy, I think you realize now that the suit's finished just how powerful it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love the shoulder Jericho bit that comes up. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So we've got the the palm repulsors, and those are singular, almost like handgun-like effectiveness. But this suit can break the sound barrier, and it is loaded with weaponry in so many different places from the gauntlets that launch the missiles to the Jericho targeting system that comes out of the missile launchers on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. And that's what it has to be, right? Like we don't just want two places that shoot lasers. If we're going to make this suit then to Marvel's credit, Mm -hmm. make it super cool and give weaponry in places we never imagined and allow the technology to kind of blow your mind. Mm -hmm. And I think it delivers expertly in that. And about the time he's mastered the flying bit, which is done in a pretty interesting tried and failed method Mm -hmm. over and over and over. We start to see the claiming of the mantle of Iron Man on just how powerful this character can be. And as we're doing that, we've also set up, there are, however, some limits to it. Sure. And that's the ice bit that you talked about Mm -hmm. prior to going and taking on the 10 rings for, the stuff that he was talking to Stain about there. We do see him master flight 
and to and you know see how high he can go into the atmosphere to the point where the suit freezes, mm-hmm. and then also what happens in a moment of crisis as he's tumbling, free falling back to Earth, how creative he can be in the problem solving with what the suit has, mm-hmm. and so there needs to be the tech piece, but there also needs to be the manual turn the wrench piece that allows the tech to happen. Yeah, and by the time we get to the destruction of the Ten Rings, in my opinion. Both of those things has been handled expertly well. Yeah, me too. And for an action bit, I mean, the series is going going to go to do this action under the table, but there's something just so simple about him showing up and he punches one guy and blasts a couple and then does the Jericho shoulder missiles. That's just super effective. It's And then when he gets hit by the, like, by the air fire and then... It's like it's like a tank, and like you just blast it with like a rocket, like something so simple, you know what I mean? So, yeah, really well done sequence, and then the uh, military is trying to take him down, and so there's a nice kind of chase there with these uh, fighter jets, and he's got to tell Rhodey, he's like, it's me, I'm the guy in the suit, like, you're, d- d- don't kill me. So Tony Stark, little by little, is having to let people know what he's really up to. Like, he's got to let Rhodey know, and then early Pepper catches, or I think it's the scene right after this, catches him getting desuited. I think he says, this isn't the worst position you've ever seen me in, let's be honest. What do you? Th- let's talk about their just relationship here and kind of maybe how it's grown for you from this film, but Pepper Potts has always been like the Stark Industries uh, receptionist, admin assistant, uh, in conjunction with like Happy Hogan and like his like chauffeur. And they, they show up pretty early in the comics, I think episode one or episode, issue one or two. But uh, you mentioned Gwyneth Paltrow, who's, mostly pretty insufferable for me most times she's on screen. Uh, But how does their relationship work and does it kind of continue to evolve for you as this series progresses? You know, the part that really is the big moment for her is at the party where she's in that formal dress. Mm -hmm. She's fairly reserved and I don't want to say buttoned up and or buttoned down, but mostly just kind of nondescript as Mm -hmm. Stark Industries, gopher yeah secretary whatever she might be yeah when he goes to that party which i don't think she or stain imagine he's going to be at and we get the reveal of her in the blue dress for the first time you kind of do see this inherent beauty in pepper as they're trying to portray it on screen for all the things that i don't like about mm-hmm. gwyneth paltrow also today she was much more tolerable back in 08 mm-hmm. and she is a nice looking woman mm-hmm. What I really think is great about it, though, is because she's seen him in so many precarious positions, (laughs) she's very reluctant to have that moment on the dance floor that leads to the kiss. But Mm -hmm. she's also aware of the attraction she has because she starts talking about everyone's going to see how we are together, and I'm in this ridiculous dress, and my armpits are sweaty, and that's because of you, Tony, because I actually really do care about you in more than a boss way, Mm -hmm. but you're kind of a dog, so Mm -hmm. I don't want to go here, and now people are going to talk, so that puts more... Like, she is caught in the middle of a whole lot of different emotions and making her a little more complex. I'm going to tell you, though, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that plays out to any real fruition in the rest of the character. The best version of Pepper Mm -hmm. in the Iron Man franchise is right now. Yeah. That rescue and all that, that's bullshit. (laughs) It gets, especially in Iron Man 3, when she's extremist and she's like on fire and all that nonsense. Yes, exactly. And also that she's the one that gets to give him his final goodbye later at the end of 
in game. It should be capped. Well, there's a lot of misses in that story. So, But at this point, I'm okay with her, and I think this is a good rendering of an important piece, which is the supporting cast that all of our protagonists need. And what do you plan to do with this information if I bring it back here? Same drill. They've been dealing under the table, and I'm going to stop. I'm going to find my weapons and destroy them. Tony, you know that I would help you with anything, but I cannot help you if you're going to start all of this again. There is nothing except this. There's no art opening. There is no benefit. There is nothing to sign. There is the next mission and nothing else. Is that so? Well, then I quit. You stood by my side all these years while I reaped the benefits of destruction. And now that I'm trying to protect the people that I put in harm's way, you're going to walk out? You're going to kill yourself, Tony. I'm not going to be a part of it. I shouldn't be alive. Unless it was for a reason. I'm not crazy, Pepper. I just finally know what I have to do. that it's right love that he references in my heart right mm-hmm. there because it that literally is where it is right yep exactly uh and then and then also too i mean there are stronger superheroes there are probably smart reed richards is probably smarter than tony stark and you know all of this but i don't think there's anyone that's maybe as brave as him because what he says there he's like there's a reason I'm still kicking around here and I got to do something good with that. So every time he goes out and puts the suit on, like if he goes, if he dies, I think he's okay with it. I think he wants to, if there's need, if something drastic needs to take place, I think he'll do it because of, you know, this kind of second life that he's, he's been given. And I, I think you hear it in, in that sequence there that he's like, I'm going to go destroy these weapons. And she's like, you're going to kill yourself. And he's like, well, I'll, I'm okay with that. To steal the glorious purpose idea from Loki, mm-hmm. oh, he, God. quite frankly, <laughs> yeah, is yeah. filled with it. Yeah. As he admits, I'm living on borrowed time. Mm-hmm. And as long as I continue to do what this borrowed time was indebted to me for, mm-hmm. I'm going to be okay, Pepper. Yeah, Boy, that's a lot of belief yeah. in fate. Yeah, But it also gives him a singular purpose, which is protection, a glorious purpose, which is to protect and by all means, including risking myself, because Pepper, I have nothing left to lose now. Now he's going to have his family and her to lose, and that's where we start to get you know, into the later pieces. But mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. Pepper, I shouldn't be here. Yeah, I, I was dead. Yep. I have a piece of metal in my heart. I could go at any moment if this arc reactor fails inside yep. of me. I'm frankly a walking machine. I'm somewhere between Frankenstein's monster and Darth Vader, but I'm going to do good with it. I love it. That's such a good moment. It's so apt for Downey Jr. too. How can I uh, do good with this second life that I have? And that's Downey Jr.'s career too. So he's so perfect for, for this character, not just in his acting chops, but in his real life persona as well. It's funny that we talked about the writing piece on this and how maybe there wasn't that much. Mm-hmm. Because in this scene, what you get is a great example of competing narratives through dialogue. Pepper doesn't want to be involved, not because she's had it with Stark Industries, but because she doesn't want to lose this man that she cares a lot about. Mm -hmm. At the same time, he needs her 
in order to fulfill this greater purpose. But through fulfilling this greater purpose, he, on a side note, also protects her and changes his goal from being the playboy weapons expert to traditional hero. Yeah. And that's what she wants. Mm-hmm. All of the things that are the masking elements of Spider-Man and Mary Jane and all of that, I can never quite finish the date because I always have to go out and protect the city of New York or whatever. Same thing is happening here in its own way. And both of these two characters in this admission of I'm scared and I'll walk is everything, Jesse. Yeah. If she walks, he doesn't have the support to be Iron Man. Mm Mm-hmm nor does he have the woman that he loves and loves him. And secondarily, she walks because she cares about him too much to be around. That's really well done. And that 45-minute, whatever, minute and a half section of dialogue you just played, Yeah, some of this had to have been written. That can't all be off the cuff. I know. It'd be be really good if it was all... Some of it, you're right. And if it is, if it's not written, then we need to give Gwyneth Paltrow a nod of... Good job being able to, to roll with it like that. Yeah. yeah. So Stark Industries is all falling apart right now. They don't make weapons. Stark's finding out all the secrets that they're dealing to the Ten Rings. Uh, and then we get the final revolution that I think we've been hinting at is that Obadiah paid the Ten Rings to take Stark out in the convoy there at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he's got a hell of a weapon that you might want to weaponize that, which is this sound frequency thing that he just turns this remote and like... Makes everyone brain dead. Yeah. <laughs> like crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then he uses that on on the Ten Rings guy. And he's like, well, I'm just like, I, I'm, my purpose with you guys is, is mute at this point. And then goes and puts it on Stark. Because he wants the arc reactor technology to finish building his own suit. Because they've pieced all of that together. And he's like, what are you building, Tony? What are you up to? And the one thing missing, and I'm going to play it in this clip, is they're missing the intellect. Sir, uh, we've explored what you've asked us, and it seems as though there's a little hiccup, actually. Um, to hiccup? Yes, to power the suit. So the technology actually doesn't exist. So it's... it's wait, it's, wait, it's, wait, the technology? William, here is the technology. I've asked you to simply make it smaller. Okay, sir, and that's what we're trying to do, but honestly, it's impossible. Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave! With a box of scraps! I'm sorry. I'm not Tony Stark. Exactly. There's only one. And his resourcefulness in those dire moments was what was able to get him out of that. And all the suits and the intellects and the brainiacs can't make sense of it. They don't. They can't figure out how he did it. It makes it entirely unique to, to himself. So Obadiah's like beside himself at this point, willing to make any drastic move and sacrifice and I've always really liked that scene, and it's almost kind of cheesy, but I, I, I love the scenes in films where we're trying to, we got caught doing something by the bad guy, and we got to sneak out of there. And that whole jump drive rigmarole that they're playing there, like, I got to hide it, I got to get the paper. Like, I love stuff like that in movies, and I always really like this scene. And um, I was like, I always forget if it's this one or the second one, but, like, there's another one, too, where he has to go and get uh, that big, like, model scale model of the world's fair that's the second one Mm -hmm. i always think it's this one but this is a great scene but like everything's coming apart here and then you know stark's in a dire situation he takes his arc reactor obadiah literally goes and pulls his heart out (laughs) i've wondered in this scene for a long time Uh if when stain goes and takes a look at 
it's what the remains of Stark's first Iron Man suit are. Is that the moment that he decides to build one himself? I or think, is that... I, I think so, yeah. You believe that? Mm-hmm. You don't think he has it in his mind to do that prior? No, because I think he, his whole kind of quest was to kind of figure out what, what is he up to? What's he doing? This and that. Because he, when he remember when he comes and he brings pizza and he's like, what are you working on down there? Are you going to let me be a part of that? And he's like, good night, Obi. And he won't let him in on what his he's currently working on. And so he's able to, with the help of the Ten Rings, piece that together. Mm-hmm. So he's like, oh, that's what you're building. Okay. You, and I love the line he gives later. And he says you gave society its greatest weapon. So Tony Stark is therefore his best blessing and his biggest curse too. That in the wrong hands is a a really powerful weapon. And we see that with Obadiah here. Yeah. And we'll see it again with Ultron. We see it with like, like the crimson. We see that type of whiplash, the the technology getting into the wrong hands and how awful that can be for, for society. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whiplash. Yeah, we'll talk about him maybe another day. That that's a that's a wild movie. That's mostly a miss for me. Yeah. Uh, so then we, we kind of kind of wrap up here. You know, Terrence Howard comes and helps save the day, gets the heart, and it's the 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 first version of it, the one that Pepper put into a like a trophy for him, a memorial. The truth that Tony Stark has a heart. Yeah. Proof that Tony Stark has a heart. Yeah. So that's the one that's going to power him for this duration, which is already on borrowed time. Mm-hmm. It's a depleted power. So he's already going into this battle, which is at Stark Industries now, like 50%, under 50%, a suit that's pretty beat up. And he's got to go up against Obadiah's Ironmonger armor. I love that he calls themselves Ironmongers earlier earlier in the film. So yeah, we, we, we kind of get where that where that's going. But his, his suit's pretty impressive too. And... Uh, I love this final just confrontation here at Stark Industries. Uh, you know, we we get the space bid, we get that bid on the freeway, or he's got to pick. You literally see like it's hard for Stark to just like kind of like hold the car up, and he struggles to get it back down when he de- when he does the arc reactor blast, and he's down to like ten percent now, mm-hmm. just to give himself a fighting chance. Like, yeah. what, what do you think? Because then the other person that's in the mix of all this is. Agent Phil Coulson from Shield, <laughs> kind of laying the groundwork for that. What do you what do you kind of think of uh, of all all of this? I'm going to give it back to you because I want to ask you this. I, I like it, but okay. then I'm going to say, of all the battles that Stark has, is the only one that's really reasonable, one against another technologically advanced element. I think so. Him watch right. Yeah, run with that. Why? Because Tony Stark is a superhero, but again, much like Batman, has to have like built himself up to be that. And then what he builds in this suit is pretty powerful. So him going up against like, let me think, him going up against like, I don't want to say like Sandman, but like you know those like like the Kingpin is mm-hmm. would be just uh it'd be over before you know it. You know what I mean? So well said. It has to be uh, even, on even ground. So Obadiah, Whiplash, uh, the Ultron, like people like that. Thanos, like someone who's able to go toe-to-toe with that. The element of technology is really evidenced here by the example you gave in Batman. Mm-hmm. It's why Batman versus the Penguin and the Joker and all those street-level bad guys work and does not work against Doomsday because you're reduced to the guy on the <laughs> so, so silly, balcony yeah. with the battering gun. Yep. With the Iron Man suit, he's too powerful for most street-level bad guys. He's just going to blast you to kingdom come. 
against like an intergalactic presence that can melt you down, you're too weak. So you almost have to take on an element of technology. As much as I defended Ultron a little while ago, this also was a bit maddening to me this time around. That movie really should have worked. Which one, Ultron? Yes. Yeah. That movie should have been a lot better than it was. Um, I would argue that's in the bottom third of Marvel's films. I think that's kind of a miss. There's a couple of moments. And the battles between Stark and Ultron are really good. And partly that's the Avengers and not an Iron Man film. And maybe it should have just been the second Iron Man movie. But because the suit is so essential to Stark and his ability to do any good, it also is maybe the larger problem for 60 years with Iron Man, Jesse. Mm -hmm. And that's you can only really go against technology. Yep. And it's boring watching him take on tanks and planes because he's better. Yeah. And how many other robots, quotes, robots keep you going. Well, it's kind of why the, some sequences in Ang, Ang Lee's Hulk don't work because he does go up against tanks and things, and you want to see him go up against like something that looks like him, like Abomination or like the leader or something like that. But The Absorbing Man? Yeah, the, yeah, the Absorbing Man. Uh, mm-hmm. The Absorbing Nick Nolte. Yeah. So this scene's really good. We mentioned, you know, they go up to space. Obadiah didn't think it, so he plummets back to Earth, and then we're here underneath the big arc reactor, and then again, just more evidence why I'm always just... Stark's ready to go at any second, He's like, Pepper, you got to turn the the, the the arc on, just do it. And she's like, you'll die, Tony. And he just says, just do it. And like, he's going to take the full blunt of the blast with Stain. And if he dies, so be it. But he can't let this win right now. It's a great, it's the first of many sacrifice moments we're going to see from, from Mr. Stark. And I think I think it's a, a nice way to end, end the movie. Obadiah is not going to stay around for multiple sequels to be some overarching villain. Although I thought that could have worked in a Legion of Doom-esque thing with like him, mm. Red Skull, Loki, and they could have been the big bads in the first Avengers film. So, mm. but no one's done that approach yet. I think that that could be something DC didn't do it. Marvel didn't do it. I, I always think that that could have worked in their universe of films where you just take the bad from the end of each one and then they team up in the team up film. I really like that little foursome you just put together. Yeah. Stain, Loki, Red Skull, and who did you say? Or did you just say those three? Well, I guess you could throw Abomination would be the one from the Hulk would, would show up. So that could work. You bet. Yeah, that, you bet that, that could work. That, that could be pretty good. But uh, we wrap up. You know, he's going to got to go. He keeps having to do these press conferences to save public face after all these incidents and scandals and things he's he's getting involved with. And I think this one's really appropriate. And I know for a fact that this is an improvised moment in this film because I think the way it was supposed to go was... He was supposed to allude to other other things of Iron Man's my butler or Iron Man's my protector of this, but like it was improvised and they just kind of went with it. But it really did lay the groundwork because one of the most irritating things about most superheroes that, you know, secret identities and things like that. And, you know, Batman's got a good one, but like Superman, that one's garbage. Uh but I love the approach that they were going to be fully involved in this universe. Because even in the comics, Iron Man's like a mystery of who's Iron Man. And he always shows up when Tony Stark's or someone's in danger. That they take the approach to, I am Iron Man. I am going to reveal to you who I am. Because now he's out in the public. He's a, a public defender now. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit different than how Iron Man comics have, how they started out. But it, it's a lot of room to play with in this universe of, we can be aware of who these heroes are we'll be aware that steve rogers is the captain america 
we'll know who Thor is. Like everyone's identities are kind of out in the open. And it was something that you and I really thought they were going to explore in the Falcon Winter Soldier. And they just let it go after episode one. Yeah, exactly. But I think this is a, a, a great moment here. It's, and it's his final lines too in the series as well. So perfect. Yeah. It's a nice capper. So we get, we get the credits and then prior to this, like there's very few films that had end credit sequences. I can think of masters of the universe when Skeletor, like, winked his eye or something and that was a sequel that was never going to come because that movie's terrible uh very few end credit like teases at the end end of movies so when we caught wind that you kind of had to stick around it became the mantra for this entire series but every movie is really trying to do this now you know what i mean dc's trying to do it uh you always have to stick around for the final tease but i'll tell you what this is the tease of all teases I am Iron Man. You think you're the only superhero in the world? Mr. Stark, you've become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. Who the hell are you? Nick Fury, director of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. And everyone was like, I gotta go Google. Still gives me chills even right now. I gotta go Google what that is. It gives me chills. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty good. Well, one, we all know who Samuel L. Jackson is. So to see him show up and we're like, okay, that's got to be important, like this character. And if you don't know who Nick Fury is at this point. But I love this idea. And when I first saw it, I knew who the Avengers were. I knew all of this. But you still got children. Man, still, yeah. Still going away. Uh, I didn't really think. I was like, that's a nice tease. I don't know if they'll ever get there. You know what I mean? I was still kind of like... This film has to prove itself. This series has to prove all oh, they, they got to find a way to make a Captain America movie work. They've been talking about doing that for years. We got to see Thor at some point. Are they going to really do Hulk again? How are they going to make this happen? But I almost feel like this was included pretty a lot after the fact. I, I really think their intention was just to make a good movie. And then I think this probably tested pretty well with audiences. And I think people were probably responding to it where Feige and crew were like, Let's give them like a tease. Let's let's kind of lay the groundwork for something we could build to, that we could arise to. I think I agree that it was secondary. Yeah. Coulson's around, and so we get the teasing of two or three moments of shield. Yeah. But then when you bring in Sam Jackson as the head of Shield and as Nick Fury, Mm -hmm. that's a pretty significant character introduction mm-hmm. um i'm not yeah i don't know how late in the process that was decided upon but boy it sure was an important decision well you know where it was solidified for me was the next month in june when the edward norton hulk came out and the end scene of that is thunderbolt ross william hurt in a bar drinking himself stupid and stark roll strolls into the bar robert downey jr and that's when I kind of was like, they are really trying to connect all this. of this stuff together. So that this was the tease. That one solidified. I think they're really going to try and do this. So let's kind of see where that goes. Yeah, you're right. This is probably the best decision that this studio made, but I don't think it was the intention. When you have a roster of 10 just almost worthless characters mm-hmm. and you're just trying to get out of bankruptcy, you have to focus on just making one good movie first. So uh this film itself was uh was a pretty decent hit there in 2008 uh, 140 million budget uh almost 600 million dollar gross so marvel's finally making some money on their own here 
anything else? Anything else you want to say? I do think it's really remarkable that the first time we saw extended universe, the way Marvel has presented it is the only time that it's worked up to this point. Mm-hmm. We've, you can make the case with fast and furious, but that's essentially the same team doing the same thing sure. from the dark world to oh God, star Wars. Mm-hmm. There's lots of failed attempts to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And say what you want about the formula, and those are all fair criticisms. It becomes a problem for me the more we go on. And how much you're now expanding just for the purpose of not even telling a story, but just to expand it further of see Loki mm-hmm. in about 25 minutes. Yeah. The uh, initial rollout of this in the cinematic world, and it never really was done. There were sequels but not like this that's expansive through origin stories and post-credit sequences through 25, not four, but five films moving to an end piece. It is really a cinematic achievement. There's no other way to say it. It's super impressive. It is. And I really like that they started out slow and steady. And you know what else too? Uh Uh-huh. If you take, because there's some misses in there. Oh, there's a ton of misses in there. Right. Yeah. The concept is still so strong that it's able to endure the misses and the misfortune and the financial piece that didn't quite work out Mm -hmm. and still keep it going. If you screw up the first one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this is over. It's the mummy. Yep. Yeah. If this didn't work, if it wasn't cast the way it was, if the story didn't play out the way it did, if it wasn't as well received as it was, I mean, you have to get people on board with an Iron Man movie. Like that's the first hurdle. I mean, think about what DC hasn't been able to do. Mm -hmm. Think about what as iconic characters as Marvel is universal and the monsters are even more so. Yeah. And it's just one attempt after another to not be able to pull off what Marvel has done. Mm -hmm. That truly Mm -hmm. That's is a, remarkable. It's an achievement. I, I don't think we'll, honestly, I don't think we'll ever see something like it again. I think Marvel will eventually peter out at some point, and whether they reboot these characters, I don't, and then again, I don't think anyone else could play Tony Stark uh, quite like this, but we'll never see something like this again. Mm-hmm. It's it, it was It had the perfect foundation to do this, too. I think that the thing was like, let's just make it like the comic books. And like, we'll just kind of like, it was always like the, the lead up to those annuals where everyone showed up or mm-hmm. an infinity gauntlet story or secret wars. It was the idea of crossovers. It was the idea. If we could get these characters and have them just kind of show up. Cause that's what they do in the comics. Like you'll read one panel and then here, here comes Ben. I'm reading, I was reading some early daredevil and Ben Grimm goes to the offices of Nelson and Murdoch. So he could get a, uh, he wants them to come take a tour of the Fantastic Four headquarters to make sure it's like compliant or something. And so like, that's like just a cameo. You know what I mean? <laughs> they were so good at that. And I'm glad they went to school on it. Yeah. The last page or the last panel in every comic mm-hmm. was the tease of what was coming. And it's why they never get out of the second act. Yep. Comics forever in the second act. Because if you move, the story ends. This was able to take that second act final panel and tease it out enough just long enough to get to the end of where we were about exhausted at 24 films mm-hmm. in Endgame. Yeah. I, it's, we haven't done this yeah. to that. Exactly. And to it starting with two time drug rehab, $500,000. Paycheck, Robert Downey Jr. Barely a script. Yep. A director who, you know, Elf and an appearance with Vince Vaughn and Swingers and not a whole lot else. Yep. 
Man. Yeah. It's impressive. And Avi Arad at the helm, not screwing it up. It's kind of a miracle. Well, then he gets, to, he gets to the point, too, where like, it, like Feige's involved with a lot of that, too. And then he just ends up taking this over this ship and Avi Arad kind of goes away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite tasting note of Iron Man? Um, I think it's the part that we talked about where we see Stark in the lab building Mark II. The technological ex- uh, experimentation and explosion of Iron Man onto the scene, and then the decision with the cars to go with red. It's just really, really cool. Really good. Yeah, the the handcrafting of the suit is great. Mine's the whole the cave, and I guess I just forgot. And then to put it in totality with the series, just how important that whole 25, 30 minutes is to his character, what he becomes, and you learn everything about him in that span of time how smart he is resourceful he is when he has very little so mm-hmm. uh that i think that's my favorite sequence nice. what's the oh my God! moment of iron man i think it might actually be in the restraint in one moment okay when the arc reactor explodes and should what is eviscerate obadiah stain mm-hmm. They didn't fall victim to let's blow him into space so that we don't take that. As much as I like your idea of the, <laughs> yeah. of the Legion of Doom. Sure, yeah. So that he's not hijacked by some space entity to blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Arc reactor explodes. It goes right through stain. And then when it's done, we see a limp, lifeless corpse sort of fall down and out of the warmonger um, suit. Or not out, but like the collapsing of the bad guy. Mm-hmm. It shows a couple things. Number one, how strong that armor was. Mm-hmm. And number two, how important the arc reactor is. If that's yeah. what's powering Tony Stark and used for good, then it would make sense that's what finishes Obadiah Stain off if used for bad. Absolutely. I think it's just very, very poetic, and it's a nice metaphor for the power of Stark. Excellent. Mine's actually going to be the end credit sequence because that is an oh-my-God-like mm-hmm. fanboy comic book geek moment that meant little to nothing with the people I went to see the movie with. You know what I mean? Like they hadn't, you know, read a lot of the comics. So when he says the Avengers, like, who's that? What is that? Is that? And I was like, well, it's like, D- it's like, D- it's like justice league, but like Mar- the Marvel version, uh, but like a cool tease. You know what I mean? Like we had gotten teases before in some of these other films and like X-Men X2 with the rise of the Phoenix. But like, this was a great tease. And, I was hesitant. I didn't believe that it could happen. And then a month later, I was like, I think it's going to happen. And then it did. And then everyone kind of jumped. That first Avengers, I feel like, was the moment when everyone, like, really paid attention. Like, I had seen all the movies leading up to that, and probably everyone didn't go see Thor and Captain America and all of these to be prepared. But when that movie hit and they saw how fun the combination could be, I think everyone was on board at that point. Sure were. Uh, how are you going to rate and grade? Uh, oh no, who's the who's the master distiller on Iron Man? Favreau. Yeah, as much as Downey is really good, and we've extolled his virtues, there needs to be someone at the helm. And the larger context, both of those guys are huge. So it's either one or the other. Because yeah. you're probably going to go the other way. Yeah, I'm going to give it to Favreau nice. on this. Yeah, I'll give it to Downey Jr. Because to me, the whole ecosystem of this universe Mm -hmm. does not work without him. Agreed. And I love that they keep using the heart metaphor and proof that Stark has a heart because he becomes the the beating heart of this whole thing going forward. And 
it was pretty poignant when like for him to kind of go out and to be the one that does it again, you see the shreds of him willing to make the sacrifice when no one else will, even though Steve Rogers probably would. And Thor probably would take one for the team, but it had to be him. It, it started with him. It has to end with him. And to me, it doesn't work without him. Yes. So how are you going to rate and grade Iron Man? Yeah. Do you want to go over the rating so everybody knows? Yeah, and I'll go first this week. I uh, I always let you go first. Yeah. Uh, so we have Rock Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf for our rating system. A one to five star-esque type yeah. of thing. Matt, this is Top Shelf for me. This is not only one of the best Marvel superhero films, but it's one of the best... Uh, superhero films in general i'll put this one up there with my favorite batmans and my favorite spider-mans like this is this is a masterwork and i i love how effortless it seems for them on screen now they'll fall victim to this trap in other entries and taking the easy way out at times but here i really think that they're really trying to make a good movie first and then everything else is secondary and this shouldn't have worked with with downey jr you know the 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 risk with him, the risk with Favreau, the risk with the character. On paper, this seems like a disaster, but on screen, it's a total home run. So top shelf with a bullet for me. I'm going to echo the same grade. And the legacy of film and the importance that this had, I'm going to say that this is one of the 20 most important films that's ever been made. Oh, of course. It has shaped a decade plus of filmmaking. It spawned televisions, Mm -hmm. uh, series, it is the blueprint for how to make an extended universe that no one's been able to replicate. Mm-hmm. It's wildly entertaining. And if there was no follow-up to any of the other Marvels, this Marvel films, this would still be a really good entry. It's acted excellently. The characters have very clear goals and they go about reasonable things in a cause and effect way to meet them. It's a almost perfect film. Yeah. If it was Anybody other than Gwyneth Paltrow, I'm kind of kidding, but yeah. I'm kind of not. I'm just being a jackass. Yeah. It's top shelf with a bullet, bullet. Amazing piece of, of cinematic work. And then for a, a trilogy that I would probably give just a call rating to Iron Man 2 and then straight up Rocket to Rocka. number three, mm-hmm. like uh, you kind of see, you know, how high they set the bar with this first injury. So yeah. I was really excited to see the second one going forward and just to kind of see where this whole thing went. But this is great. This is a great conversation on Iron Man from 2008. Uh, let's wrap up this episode with our nightcap. I don't always love Black Sabbath, but I do really like that song, mm-hmm. so... Hit us with the nightcap this week. So as this laid the foundation for the first phase, I know it's four, but the first iteration of the MCU, we can take a look back at all of the characters and all of the involvement and see who, in your opinion, are the three most important players in getting to where Marvel is in the MCU today. Oh, okay. Excellent. So we'll see what happens going forward. We don't know what's going to happen going forward yet. Yeah, why don't you go first? So this is not based on favorite. This is based on most important, okay. in my opinion. So you're talking about from Iron Man to where we're at right to now. To the end, yep. Okay. Number three, and I specifically didn't speak a lot about this character in this film because I wanted to do it now. Okay. I think it's Jensen. It's easy to go with the big three. Two of those three aren't going to make my list. Okay. 
it's this guy. Yeah. If he's not in this film and he doesn't get Stark through the cave and he doesn't humble him in a way and give him a heart with the simple line of, I need to go see my family because you're a rich man who has nothing. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't introduce Stark into the importance of the technology that is a heart. I mean, that is such mm-hmm. an on-the-nose metaphor. Yeah. But the more you examine and peel back the layers of that onion, the less it becomes so on the nose and speaks volumes about what does the heart mean and what does it mean to beat and the soul and energy and all of that and how you have to give it in order to get it and what powers it Mm -hmm. and how fragile it is. It's a shame that Jensen isn't mentioned in latter entries for me in this series. Mm -hmm. And I mean it. He really is. I think cause I'm telling everyone Thor isn't going to make this list <laughs> and Cap's not going to make this list for me. Mm-hmm. Jensen to me is more important than yeah. either of those two characters. So Jensen's my third selection. Excellent. How about you? I'm going to go a little cosmic with this one. Uh, if you'll let me have the whole unit, but I have to pick the guardians of the galaxy. If you want to talk about other risks in this universe that I think paid off really well for them. If this Marvel universe is going to reach the heights that it wants to, it has to reach the stars. I mean that uh, metaphorically and uh, literally we have to, the whole cosmic side of the Marvel universe is vast and so confusing. Mm-hmm. I thought the, to pick the guardians to introduce that in, in Thor, whatever. No, I thought to do it through guardians was yes. a, a D list team. If that, if that, and to cast it the way they did that film needed to work. And just as much as Iron Man, that film like is so important for this, this franchise to get us there but then where they show up throughout this series is also important too. And how we see that they're kind of the, the Thanos bridge to the real world for us. So I have to pick the guardians. I mean, how are they going to make a talking raccoon in a tree work? They did. So <laughs> really well said. And the best character in that is Drax and his comedy is just, is comedic gold, man. Just watch out. <laughs> You're hideous. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. My nipples are sensitive. Great choice. Yeah. Number two, Doctor Strange. The element of fate and decoding some of the cosmic abilities of the Infinity Stones is a monumental task that if you actually read is real hard to kind of come to any conclusions with in the comics. Mm -hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch was put on Earth as much as Tony Stark was to play, or Robert Downey was to play Tony Stark. He was put on Earth to play Stephen Strange. And... As I think what's going to be the crux going forward for Marvel, and that's a bit of a risk because as bad as Doctor Strange, I'm sorry, as bad as Iron Man is to read standalone, Doctor Strange is also a pretty bad read. Sure. Uh, from the forecasting of future and the chances, but the introduction to the ethereal piece mm-hmm. of the Marvel Universe I think is also as important as the cosmic bit. Absolutely. So shockingly, it's Doctor Strange for me at number two, and it's also a tease for what's coming next week. Nice. But legitimately, my number two. Number two for me, uh, you knew they were going to have to do something about this at some point, and because of the deals Avi Arad made in the past, you just knew something had to give to make this happen. You needed to have Spider-Man in this universe, so he's actually my number two. Now I'm on record of saying I'm not a big fan. Uh, I, Tom Holland's perfect to play this character, by the way. Mm-hmm. This version of the character is entirely different than what I'm used to in my Spider-Man lore and mythology. Like I'm used to Spider-Man really struggling, and 
he just has such readily access to Stark tech, which kind of kills the bit of a character, but that character's involvement in this universe going forward, I think there's a reason why we had Endgame and then Spider-Man Far From Home as like the final film in phase three, because I think he is going to bear a lot of this on his shoulders going forward. So you couldn't do it without him. You need this character. You need Marvel's most popular character of all time to be in your universe. So he's my number two. It would seem that it's pretty obvious that Iron Man should be number one. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that Iron Man should be number one, but we've just spent an hour and 40 minutes talking about it. Telling you why. (laughs) So that's the case. Yeah. For the purposes of, I hope, causing some conversations, and that's why we do the flight in the nightcap. Absolutely. Just so that there's something for everybody to talk about Mm -hmm. post-show. I'm going to go with Sam Jackson's Nick Fury. There needs to be someone to bring it all together. And... I also really kind of like that they mostly haven't given him his own film, but mm-hmm. he has a very prominent role in just about all of them. He's almost got like several of his own films. He's the guy that brings this together and gives them a purpose. So it's Sam Jackson, think, number one for me, I the think, most important. I think he was the one too when they like first started saying contracts and like Sam Sam Jackson signed on to do like eight movies and they're like, oh my God, like he's going to be in eight of these? Like how many movies are they making? Well, 24, or 25. <laughs> it's only a third. Great. Tri- yeah, I would pick Iron Man number one. But to me, like the whole framework of this universe was to kind of tease, 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 tease. And then finally we start like seeing the realization of all those teases manifest itself into what I think is the most important character that's underlaying this entire time. And it's Thanos. And maybe it's because of the way mm-hmm. we've talked about his motivations and how he's right in his own regard. And he brings up some good talking points, but the guy's brutal. He's... He's a, uh, he just brings genocide upon any planet he visits and he's just trying to wither it all away. And so when he comes face to face with the Avengers, we see how formidable of a threat he is. And the snap moment is we'll do infinity war one of these days, because that's a huge movie for me um, where it all came together in a way that I never thought was possible. Mm-hmm. But it's also Josh Brolin's performance. The motion capture aspect uh, also makes that really work for me. So for once, for all of Marvel's successes, one of the biggest misses probably up until that moment was the villains just, man, they just did not cut Yellow Jacket, um, Ultron, uh, Malachite the Evil Elf, mm-hmm. uh, Alexander uh, Robert Redford. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Just so many people that left just so much to be. Finally, we had one that was like, oh, this, this is what we want. This mm-hmm. is what we need in a villain. So that's my number one. Great choice. But Iron Man's the real number one. <laughs> six opportunity. Well, yeah, six opportunities to get the big three, and neither one of us went with it. Although we both really did say it's Iron Man at number one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I love it. To your choices. To your choices too. Alrighty. So this was this week's pick for me. As I prefaced earlier, we're leading up to Black Widow coming out in two weeks. So next week's your pick. Where are we going? Yeah, Doctor Strange. Nice together. Uh, one time is all you've ever seen this. I only saw this the one time in the theater, and, and you know, I, I I really I did enjoy it. But this will be a nice revisit for me, and it'll be a nice kind of preface to discuss, you know, the film itself. But then, like where this is going, mm-hmm. based on what's been teased to us, I think that's a film that's like on our radar as being very excited for with yeah him and Scarlet Witch. But then also bringing Sam Raimi back to the Marvel universe. Sign me up. I'm yeah. so excited for that. So yep. this will be a great, well, yeah, come over, we'll watch and uh, we'll go to the, um, to the ethereal plane with the, 
the master mystic. Sorcerer Stone included. Yeah, excellent. Well, cheers to you. Hit us up on Facebook or Instagram at RiceMileProductions at gmail.com. Uh, go check out Patreon, patreon.com slash Films. We're doing a lot of fun stuff. We made our announcements. Well, we're going to be covering uh, next next month for the month of July. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, we're knee-deep in Loki right now. Maybe in, 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 <laughs> we're drowning in knee-deep water. Yeah. And you see David Dunn anywhere? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was really well done. You're clever. But, <laughs> I can say, uh, and then hit up the T public. I mean, we got, we got, so if you want to go get your Val Kilmer Huckleberry shirt, so we got um, uh, Wooderson from mm-hmm. uh, uh, Dazed and Confused. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff happening right now. So until then, I got to get going. I got to go build my super suit. And I just want, I just want it to be my cook for me. Like I want it to be able to like make all my meals because I love cooking, but it's such a process. <laughs> I want it to be navy blue and gray. Can you pull that off? Oh, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Excellent. We'll see you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. For more Rye Smile content, go to patreon.com slash Films for exclusive bonus episodes plus feature-length watch-along commentaries on your favorite movies and TV show recap episodes covering the best from the small screen. For Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Iron Man is property of Marvel Studios and Paramount Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Truth is... I am Iron Man.